Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes, indeed. Good morning. I am joined by our friend from the University of Minnesota, Julie Weisenhorn. Good morning, Julie. Welcome to, well, I guess it's fall. <laughs> Yesterday it was a little winter. It was a little winter, wasn't it? It kind of reminded me to kind of hustle and get some stuff done around here. Boy, yeah, it, it does make you think. Maybe I better do a few few more things, preparatory things. Well, Julie, as you know, if you're a regular listener to the show, has helped us out for a long time here on CCO, and we tend to get real busy on this hour. So if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question for Julie, I urge you, call it in or text it in. Uh, same number, 651 651- Nine eight nine nine two two six six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Now, Julie, I, I kind of uh, kick myself because I uh, I was hoping to get a, a final uh, fertilizing done on my lawn, but I don't know if that's a good idea right now. It sounded to me like um, when Maggie was on a couple weeks ago that we're kind of at the end of this. Uh, opportunity to fertilize. And I actually had that question yesterday. And also they were asking, the person was asking about pounding tree spikes into the ground around her oh, yeah. trees. And the the problem is that the fertilizer, if it, if it warms up and becomes activated, then the tree or the plant or the grass will all start uh, growing. And they, those plants may not have, right now they're kind of going, they're going into dormancy for the winter, and if they produce any new growth, then that new growth will not have time to harden off before winter, and it will be killed by winter. So we kind of want to just step back from our plants right now and let them go into dormancy for the winter so that they can do all of their physiological stuff and be prepared for this cold winter. So, yeah, we're, I think we're past the fertilization window for any of our plants. In fact, as you were answering that, a text came in. When's a good When's a good time to put down fall fertilizer? Uh, yeah, I guess it, it, it sounds like we're past that. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, texter says this, Julie. Can I overwinter my potted parsley in the basement? If so, how much watering might it need? There are so many. I've got to write some articles about uh, for the website about overwintering plants. There are so many questions about overwintering annuals that you have outside. So we have a good, on our extension site, we have a good article on geraniums, for example. A lot of people will keep their annual geraniums from year to year, and that's a long-time practice here in Minnesota. So we have a good article about that, but we don't have anything about overwintering shrubs. You know, if you have a shrub that's in a container, how can I overwinter it? 
and also something like parsley. So parsley personally can be an indoor plant and you can grow it as a house plant through the winter and use it too. put it in a sunny window, water it like you would, uh, you know, when it's dry. If you're going to overwinter it, you would maybe water it once a month. And you want to keep these plants from growing as best you can. So it needs to be very cool where the plant is, but not freezing. So 45 degrees is pretty good, 40, 45 degrees. And then you want to keep it in a dark place uh, so that it's not getting any light and the temperatures are cool. And you're basically simulating the winter where this plant is a perennial or actually parsley is a biennial, meaning that it will bloom the second year. So that's what you're trying to do if you're trying to overwinter something that is not hardy here. All right. But I grow it oh, as a boy. house plant. Um, we're getting a bunch of calls and text messages uh, as usual. So let's get back uh, back to the phones. I think Anne is calling in from Bloomington this morning. Anne, thank you. What's your question for Julie? I have a question about um, dandelions. Is there anything I can have um, put down to this this time of year? Last spring, my dan the dandelions in the yard were absolutely awful, and I'd like not to have to have them again next year. So dandelions are a perennial weed, meaning that they will come back year after year, and you've probably noticed that. Um, right now. I, I'm not sure that we have the right temperatures to put down a broadleaf herbicide. So this is, an, this is an herbicide that's designed to kill just plants that have broad leaves like dandelions and plantain. Uh, it will not kill grasses, which have narrow leaves. And so what I would do is probably when you go to the garden center or the, you know, where you buy your herbicide, I would take a look at the temperatures that are that are required. I have a feeling it's a little bit late because we're going into 40 degrees and usually around 50, 55 degrees is when these herbicides activate. So, uh, but you may find some, there might be some new products on the shelves that, that work at a lower temperature and you could put those down. Next year, what you want to do is put down a pre-emergent because you have a lot of seeds that are weed seeds and put that down in the spring before, uh, and don't put it down, don't seed over it because it will prevent any plant from seeding. So pre-emergent in the spring uh, before the plants start to germinate. And then you could maybe look at your garden center and again, look for that temperature. Yeah, I was just looking at the forecast and we have some, some in some cases, Julie, overnight lows in the upper 20s. So that's something. Yeah, it's going to be, too. it's pretty cold now to be doing some of those things. I'm going to look. Yeah. Actually, we do have, of course, the um, lawn care calendar that's on our extension site. And, yeah, broadly, we control what says late October. Um, so you might be able to squeak a little in. But, again, it's that temperature. We're kind of at this kind of fringy time of year where, you know, it can vary depending on the kind of weather that we're getting. Really, really vary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's see. Thank, thank you, Anne. Uh, let's go to St. Paul. I think Al is waiting there to ask you a question, Julie. Go ahead, Al. Thank you for waiting. Yeah, great program. Um, thank I've got you. Questions about daffodils. Um, um, should they be mulched? And how deep? And uh, are tree leaves okay? Are tree leaves okay? Yes, tree leaves are great. That's a great mulch. 
And uh, you can probably you could probably mulch those usually for herbaceous plants, and that would include daffodils and tulip bulbs. You could maybe put a couple of inches of crushed up leaves on that. If you have a mower with a bagger, that works really well. I did that yesterday in my yard. And then you can dump the bagged clippings and leaves down on and use it as a mulch on top of your on top of your bulbs. That's a great thing to do. One of the nice things about, well, there's two great things about leaf mulch, actually three. One is you're using what you have in your yard, so you don't have to bag it and haul it. Second of all, you are also uh, creating a good habitat for overwintering insects like queen bees that overwinter in our uh, mulchy areas. And third, that mulch will break down and add to your soil and really improve it. It adds carbon to your soil. And if you have grass clippings in there, that's adding nitrogen too. So, yeah, great thing to do. Very good. Julie, we have to take a quick break here. We have more show to come. If you have a, any kind of a lawn or garden question for Julie, 651-989-9226. That's a phone call. That's also the text number here on our Smart Garden Show, News Talk A3O-WCCO. Okay. We're back with our Smart Garden Show. <laughs> kind of wow. fell off the end of the earth there. Uh, Denny Long here, <laughs> Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota is with us this morning. Nothing like live radio, right, Julie? Nothing like. <laughs> yeah, it's live. <laughs> 651-989-9226, our text number and phone number as well. Uh, I've got a bunch of text messages, Julie, but I want to grab a awesome. phone call from uh, Maureen in the Ham Lake, I believe, is hanging on the line. Good morning. What can we do for you, Maureen? Uh, good morning. I'm. My question is, I have a new shrub rose and a viburnum bush and a struggling azalea, and is it the time to start protecting them, and how is the best way to protect them for the winter? Okay. Oh, those are great questions. And all of those three you could protect with a ring of, uh, say, hardware cloth. You can buy hardware cloth at the hardware store. And it is essentially a very strong fencing with very small squares of openings in it. And the nice thing about it is that it's hard for animals to chew through. And they also um, it also uh, holds in leaves really well. And that's what you want to do with all these plants. If they are tender like that, if you're concerned about animals browsing on them in the winter, which is very possible, and they do like roses, you want to create a ring of hardware cloth. Sink it down a couple of inches into the ground so animals can't crawl under it, and then stuff it full of leaves. And those leaves will act as protection for the the plants, and especially the root area and the grass that's likely on, that might be on your shrub rose. And it will also protect it then from the browsing of animals. So that is a, that's a really good thing to do. And you can do that with any shrubs that you're concerned about. Uh, for the winter. I do it with my blueberries because rabbits really like to eat blueberries. If you have a euonymus in your yard, rabbits really like to chew on euonymus. And what those animals do is they girdle the plant by chewing through the layer of cambium, the, the, the kind of just below the surface of the bark, that layer of the plant, and it interrupts the vascular system of the plant, kills the part of the plant or all of the plant. So you can do that with any plants like your azalea, your shrub rose, and uh, and protect them for the winter that way. Very good. Back to the text messages. Julie, uh, it says, uh, we moved into a house last winter where there was a line of azaleas, about 12 to 15 of them. They had wow. azalea sawfly larvae in early summer and were nearly decimated. I used insecticidal soap too late, 
Can I treat the soil this fall with something to take care of the stages that overwinter there? Not really. Um, I believe I would actually send you to our website for that one and look up the Azalea Sawfly webpage. I know Jeff has done a really good job on covering some of these uh, pesky insects uh, like that. And that webpage is extension.umn.edu. What you will probably do is in the spring, when you start to see new growth, is put down a systemic into the ground. And, and at that point, uh, that would, the plant would then take it up because it's actively growing. Now is not the time to do it. And that would help uh, to alleviate the soft fly. But take a look at the web page. And it's under our insects page. What insect is this? Or you can just type in Azalea Sawfly into the search box. All right. Very good. Texter wants to know, is this a good time to trim shrubs? No, it is not a good time to trim shrubs. And the reason is that every time you make a cut on a plant, it prompts new growth. And so you want to stay away from doing any kind of pruning, unless it's something like the shrub is growing over your window uh, you might take a, you know, or it's a hazard. Um, at some point, you have to kind of make a decision there. But really, overall pruning, you don't want to be doing that right now. You okay. want to wait till till you see active growth in the spring. Uh, let's see. Here's another one. My hydrangeas, limelight, and vanilla strawberry. Heavy flowers have caused the branches to drop to the ground. Should I stake them up over winter to straighten them, or do I need to cut it back and start over? I would leave that alone right now. Uh, what you might do is you could put a ring of, of fencing, like a wire fencing, around the base of the plant just to hold those up off the ground. And that'd probably be the easiest thing to do. And again, I wouldn't cut them off right now. One thing is they offer you some winter interest, which is pretty nice. And then as soon as it starts to warm up and, uh, and we uh, get into, say, late winter, uh, early spring, then you can do the pruning and you can prune those heads off. Okay. Back to the phones we go. Kathy is calling in this morning from Brooklyn Park, I believe. Kathy, you are on with Julie. Good morning, Julie. Um, thanks for taking my call. I sure um, like listening to you. But this Thank is kind you. of silly. Okay. Uh, we had a plum tree or had a plum tree that blew down the end of August with the strong winds. And we were able to cut it up, but we didn't do anything with the trunk. Well, anyway, now there's a leafy branches starting to grow from the trunk. Will it grow back to a tree? No, it, it won't. It will actually just grow this kind of crazy branch um, coming out of there. It's growing from the root area. And uh, it will be more of like a shrubby-looking plant. So it may or may not produce. Um, and uh, you can leave it if you want, or you can take that trunk out, maybe cut down lower to the base of the trunk, or if you can dig the trunk out. I don't know. Sometimes that's that's not really uh, feasible, but it won't really grow into a nice tree, or if it, if it did, it would take a long time. I say it's going to be more of a shrubby-looking thing. Okay. okay. I was just wondering what we should do. Thank you. Okay. You All right. It. Thanks, Kathy. Appreciate the call. Texter says this, uh, Julie, we planted an eight-foot showy mountain ash tree this spring. I plan on protecting the trunk with the PVC, but how do I keep the branches protected from the deer? Oh, boy, deer are tough. Um, yep. the, the best thing is a, is a fence, a big fence. Um, 
And you could try doing that. I don't know how feasible that is. Sometimes uh, people don't want to look at that. But if it's really protecting the tree significantly, then you might want to put that up. And you can, um, yeah, that's really the best way to do it. There are repellents for deer, but I'm not sure that they actually work in the winter. I think they work better in the summer. And you would have to spray the tree at that deer head height. And, um, yeah, so really just really just protecting it with a fence would be the way to go. All right. I want, we have to break for weather soon here, but I want to get a call in from Marsha calling in from Burnsville this morning. Marsha, you're on CCO with Julie. Hi. I planted a fern this um, spring that is only hardy to minus 10 degrees. Uh, when do I mulch it and how do I mulch it? Do I wait until the snow or do I mulch it? Uh, when it dies down after a frost, and how do I mulch it? Thanks. Okay, so planting plants that are not hardy to our zone three or four, wherever you're located, uh, is is an experiment. That's how I look at it. And, uh, and so there's no guarantee that even mulching it, the plant will actually make it through the winter. But you could mulch it any time now, and, uh, and you can just cut the fronds down, the, the green leafy area of the uh, or part of the plant, and then mulch it with leaves. I would probably do, as I described earlier in the show, to do a fence around it with hardware cloth, sink that fence down a couple of inches to prevent animals from crawling underneath it, and then stuff it full of leaves. And then, first of all, you will identify where the fern is, and second of all, it will really that will help to protect it. That's about all you can do uh, to protect it in the winter. But good luck. I hope it. I hope it comes back for you. Very good. Uh, we have another half hour of the show to go here on a Smart Garden Show. So call us or text us six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Back with more Smart Garden on News Talk eight three zero WCCO. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Around every Saturday in the eight o'clock hour this morning, we are joined by Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Julie, tell me something about this. Uh, I mean, hunters are out there. Uh, this time of year, and they, and I didn't know this before, but they actually, some of them, many of them, report in on uh, invasive species they come across. Yes. Uh, So this is a great time of year, and we call on our hunters and the foragers who are out there to use use a tool from the Minnesota Department of Ag called the Great Lakes Early Detection Network. It's an app you can download on your phone. And as hunters come across, they could become educated and read about uh, from the MDA page, read about the different invasive species that are out there. Then uh, we ask that they report those when they come across them while they're out hunting. It's a good time of year to see some of them. Buckthorn, for example, if you're hunting far north where buckthorn has been spottily reported, uh, if you come across it, use that app to go ahead and report that. Uh, Oriental bittersweet is another one that is really a, a an, not an, it's been around a long time, but it's boy, it's really detrimental to forests and to other woody plants. And so we would ask that people download that on their smartphone, charge up your phone before you go out in the morning to hunt and, uh, and then report any invasive species that you find. Uh, also if you're foraging the same thing. So 
there's going to be an article in our Yard and Garden News that I just wrote uh, coming out next week on this, uh, asking hunters and foragers to do this and giving you the link to the, to the Great Lakes Early Detection Network. So that, uh, if you're a hunter or forager, please consider doing that. Uh, it really helps uh, the Minnesota Department of Ag and the DNR to eradicate new findings of invasive species in our woodland and uh, naturalized areas. Oh, wow. That's great news. All right. Uh, if you're just joining us, Julie Weisenhorn is with us answering your questions as usual by phone and by text, 651-989-9226. That's our uh, text number. It's also our uh, phone number. Speaking of phones, let's go back to the phones. Marie is calling in from Blaine this morning. Thanks, Marie. What's your question? Hi, um, Julie. My question is powder leaf mildew. Um, we're in Blaine, and it's a quarter-acre lot, so there's there's good circulation. Um, in summer of 99 we, or spring, we had, like, gad, you know, a lot of rain. So we had the mildew, and it's just – and now this year we have it again – and I have gardens in the backyard, and then there's I have zinnias in the front, um, where that's away from the backyard. But they seem to, they just get really full of mildew, and now it seems to be worse where it's getting on everything, sunflowers, um, even, and of course the phlox and the bee balm gets them. Um, and I know that I can spray maybe the the nim oil on them or other product. Um, but is there, is there something else we can do? Cause it seems to be getting worse every year. We didn't have it before. So something brought it in, I, I suppose. So one of the problems with powdery mildew is it's everywhere. It's very hard oh. to manage and it comes, uh, it blows in the wind. It's a fungus. And it blows okay. in the wind, so the spores are windborne. Uh, they come in on some plants, too. And some plants are just more susceptible to it. Lilacs, phlox, as you mentioned, monarda, bee balm. And uh, things like in the squash family, you'll see it on that, too. Yeah. So one thing you can do is when you do go to look for plants, new plants, you can try to find some that are resistant. That doesn't mean they're immune, but it won't be so obvious. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you can do, too, is some of the perennials that you have, like your uh, Monarda, is to maybe divide it and thin it out, and that will help to increase the sunlight to the plants. And then one thing, too, is when it rains and when we have high humidity, which we had a very hot, humid summer, as you know, uh, it, it will help to increase the airflow through those plants and to dry off those leaves at, uh, and uh, after rain or after in really humid conditions. So thinning your perennials would help. Uh, don't plant plants so closely together. If you're planting annuals mm-hmm. like zinnias, uh, make sure that you space oh, them okay. appropriately right. so that they have more airflow going through them and more light getting to the plants. Uh, other than that, it's a, it's a fungus, so you would look for a fungicide for it, but it's really hard to keep up on that. Um, but that is something you could do if you maybe have plants that are really prominent in your, like right by your front door, like a peony, those are also susceptible to it. Uh, you might choose to spray those in particular and let, you know, the ones in the backyard kind of do what they're going to do. And that would minimize your uh, introduction of the fungicide into the environment, but then also your amount of work that you have to do. All right. Very good. Thank you, Marie. <laughs> Dexter says this, Julie. 
Well, I did it again. I bought plants and didn't put them in the ground yet. Is it still okay? <laughs> well, you kind of have to weigh your options. So uh, if there are plants like perennials, you could maybe quickly get them in. Um, I, it's, it's Again, it's an experiment at this point if they're going to survive or not. Um, I would plant them now, like today, and I would water them. Uh, and then also I would mulch that root area. And uh, if they have flowers on them, I would cut the flowers off because um, that will minimize the amount of effort the plant needs to make to support the flowers and, uh, and go ahead. And, and if you have shrubs, same thing, I would cut those flowers or pinch them off um, or, or any buds or anything like that just to minimize the amount of work the plant has to put into supporting them. Okay. Good luck. So back, back to the phones we go. Julie, Princeton is our next stop. Barb is calling in from Princeton. Barb, thank you for waiting. What's your question, please? Uh, good morning. Um, I have two rose peonies that are about maybe seven to eight inches tall. Uh, should I cut them back and mulch them or just leave them as they are? I think I would leave them as they are, and I would mulch them. I, again, I would put a screen around them. They sound like they're kind of small. Mm-hmm. and uh, I would screen them with that hardware cloth, as I described earlier in the show, and then mulch them with leaves in there, and that will help you to prevent from walking on them. You might forget where they are. I, I do that in my garden, and that will help to identify them so in the spring you can kind of pay attention to those as they start to emerge. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Julie, what's going on at the uh, Arboretum? Is there anything? Hmm. Well, there's always something going on at the Arboretum. Yeah. Well, the Apple House is open. I've been there twice, uh, and that's a great place to go. You do not need a reservation for the Apple House, but you do need one for the Arboretum. Easy to do. I've done it a number of times when we've had people in town to, to go take a drive around there. Now you can walk around. The trails are open. The Oswald Visitor Center, which is the main visitor center, is open. The information desk, the uh, gift shop and bookstore is open. There are bathrooms and, of course, water. Uh, Bring your water bottles to fill. Um, There's no food that is being sold or liquid, so you need to bring your own. But you can bring a picnic uh, and go enjoy some of the fall color that's still out there. Uh, And, of course, Three Mile Drive is open, and you can park along the way and in the designated areas and and really enjoy it. It's absolutely – any time of the year, the Arboretum is great. But, you know, fall is – it's been a tremendous fall for fall leaves and fall color. So, yes, head on out there. And uh, if you have not uh, subscribed to the Arboretum newsletter, I would suggest you do that, too, because that keeps you updated on any special events that are going on or art exhibits, that kind of thing. I think we're going to be in that neighborhood uh, today. I think I'm going to stop at the Apple House. You gave me a good idea. Nice trip there. Always, I, that's always a fun place. I would recommend, you know, everybody gets the Honeycrisp and the right. Tango and the Zestars. I would recommend the Frostbite Apple. Frost Frostbite? Frostbite. It's named appropriately because it's hardy in Zone 3. Mm. And it's a smaller apple, and it has a very different taste from other apples. So I would, it's one of my favorite apples. I would I will recommend do that. Because I do love both out. Honeycrisp and the Sweet Tango. But I, I, I do, too. Test something new. Do that. Have something new. If we, Texter says, Julie, if we stop, there's a good question. Fertilization. Should we continue to water trees, especially the young trees? 
Oh, thank you for mentioning that. Yes, as long as the soil is not frozen, please, please water your trees, especially young trees, evergreens. Think about evergreens, all the needles on evergreens or the foliage on arborvitae, all of those need to stay on. The tree needs to support those through the winter. So water, water, water at this point. We've had a very dry, uh, we've had a little bit of rain now, um, but we've had a pretty dry summer and fall. So now is a good time. Yes, water your woody plants. Um, if you're if you're planting bulbs, be sure that you water those. They need to, need to stay hydrated. Um, yes, so yes, please do that. All right, very good. I know we have to break here momentarily. Uh, here's one. Uh, can I still cut pieces off my chive plant so I can put them in the freezer to use? Oh, absolutely. You know, chives are one of those plants that they're perennial. They're little, they're part of the allium family, so they have little bulbs. And they spread, as some people know who have them, through their flowers, which are also edible, by the way, and very good in salads and, and soups. Um, yes, you can definitely cut those now. They are a resilient, one of our nice uh, perennial herbs that we have in Minnesota. There's another text, Julie, before we break. It says, I have three newly planted Wajila bushes that were planted in early summer. One of them recently browned and dried up quite quickly. The other two look lush and green. Is that first bush going to make it to next year? How do I care for them this fall? Do I just leave them or do I cut them back? Is it too late to water them? (laughs) You've got a few questions. (laughs) Well, no, it's not too late to water, as we mentioned just uh, prior to this. And uh, so you can keep watering them. That one plant, what I would do is I would would just leave the plants alone for now. um, And I would just watch it in the spring and take a look at it and see if it comes back. If it does not, you can contact the place that you bought the plant. There's likely a plant warranty on it. A lot of garden centers and growers do that, and they will hopefully replace it for you. So it sounds to me like, um, I don't know, that there may have been something wrong with the plant. Maybe the plant was girdled uh, by animal browsing, and and they left the other two plants alone. Uh, There could be something in the root system. Not sure. So, But I would um, just watch it. It may be that it has a leaf spot issue, and it just the leaves all turn brown, but next year it might be fine. You might want to clean up the leaves, the dead leaves that you see around the base of it. You can take a, you know, uh, you, can, you can just rake those up and dispose of those and uh, just kind of keep an eye on it. All right. Very good. Julie, let's t- take a quick break here. If you're just joining us, uh, Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M is helping you out today on our Smart Garden Show. Stay with us on News Talk 830 WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Danny Long here with Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Uh, You wanted to kind of follow up on that last Wajila question, didn't you, Julie? I did because I did not address the pruning part Ah, of the question. And I actually had to look this up. So I went to our friends down at Iowa State University, and uh, and Wajilas may have some winter dieback. So in the late winter, early spring, you want to prune out any dead wood. So if you find dead branches, that's the time to take it out. If they uh, haven't got much dieback, you would just want to take out a few of the largest, oldest, oldest stems, kind of the big trunky things, and cut those way down at the base of the plant. And, uh, and that will allow the shrub to bloom in, in our late spring is when it blooms or early summer. 
with some new and produce some really nice new uh, flowering shoots for next year. And you can also lightly prune them right after the spring bloom. So you want to do that immediately because it will start setting buds uh, for next year uh, soon after it blooms. Well, good. Thanks for following up on that. Uh, let's uh, grab a call or two before we uh, take our leave today. Jerry is calling in from St. Paul this morning. Jerry, you're on with Julie. Yes, sir. Uh, Julie, I was listening to you. You talked earlier about somebody called in about putting down a weed killer, and you said you might be able to find something that would tolerate the colder temperatures. But if I can find a weed killer product to put down, can I also follow it up with winterizer fertilizer? Boy, good question. I, I think it, it, it all has to do with the timing and the temperatures. Uh, if you put down the fertilizer, uh, you would want to be sure that we're getting some temperatures that would activate it then or make it available. Um, so without looking at the packages, it does say on our uh, yard and garden lawn calendar that you can do some fertilizing through mid-October. So we're, boy, we're right on that fringe. And that would include winterizers, too. Um, but that broadleaf weed control could go through late October. Again, read the package and look for the temperature requirements for setting that down. One of the problems with putting down fertilizer when it's too cold is that it tends to wash into, uh, you know, wash out of the plants in rains uh, or blow out when we've got such wind. And uh, and it will go down into our gutters and streets, and then it will go into our waterways. So we really discourage that. We want to really have good timing for putting those products down. All right. Thank you, Jerry. Dell is calling in from Minneapolis. Dell, you're on CCO with Julie. Uh, good morning, Julie. Uh, you mentioned uh, buckthorn. Uh, I was out at Palmer Lake uh, Park in uh, Brooklyn Center um, a month ago or so, and I noticed it was just call it a buckthorn park. And right. then the last weekend, I, we were out at um, Elm Creek, and I noticed buckthorn was everywhere. I yep. was out at some park by, it uh, uh, wasn't Waikonia, but out in that direction. And I was amazed at the buckthorn, uh, even even out there. And I'm thinking, isn't anybody doing anything to control this uh, buckthorn? Because that is a great uh, question and excellent observations, by the way. Buckthorn it has been, uh, Buckthorn came into Minnesota many, many years ago. I'm trying to remember how far back. It's longer than like the 1920s as a hedge plant. So it literally, it was, it was brought into Minnesota. It prunes beautifully. I have to say that. So it really made a great hedge plant. The problem is, is that it produces a lot of berries and the birds will eat those berries and then distribute them through their feces. And the, the issue with buckthorn is it's now under, it's, it's called a prohibited control plant, meaning that if you are a homeowner, you are expected to control it on your property. If you are a land manager in a park or something, that is also a challenge for you. But there isn't any kind of a, a you don't get fined for it. Uh, it's really in the best interest of you to control it because it will, as you've noticed, outcompete other plants, more desirable plants. The problem is it is so prevalent, especially down in the central and southern Minnesota, that it's very difficult to keep it under control. 
And, uh, and so if you have it, if you have a property, a cabin or something, and you find buckthorn on it, uh, be sure to eradicate it. Take it out. There's good explanations for how to do that on the extension site under invasive species, also on the DNR site, and also on the, uh, the MDA list as well, the MDA site too. So it's not that, that uh, nobody's doing anything about it. It's just it's a very overwhelming, large uh, task to do. And so people have pick, kind of, they kind of pick and choose where they're going to control it. Like if it's up by picnic grounds and things, they try to keep it back there. But again, very difficult plant. Yeah, it's tough stuff for sure. It's very hard. And it, and it has a lot of qualities in it that makes it more resilient than other plants. So uh, you will see it a lot now because as our desirable plants have lost their leaves, buckthorn has the anomaly of it keeps its leaves much longer into the cold weather. So you'll see these green areas of plants, and that's likely buckthorn. Yep. Growing garlic in Minnesota, tips on when, where to plant, and location rotation. So we've got a gar- garlic question here. Okay, garlic. That has been a popular, popular topic this spring, as it is every year. We have an excellent page on garlic. So I would say to go to our extension site. So it's extension.umn.edu. Go to our vegetable section under yard and garden and uh, look up garlic. We have a section called vegetables A to Z. And so you have any questions on vegetables, that's the place to go. And you'll find a specific page on those vegetables. The garlic page is super informative. It talks about different kinds of garlic, how to harvest it, uh, how to plant it. Uh, the conditions it grows in. So I would say head to that page and you'll get 99.9% of your answers probably from that page. Listener wants to know, Julie, is now a good time to split peonies? No, you want to split peonies around August or so. And so hold off if you can. And then after they bloom next year, just put it on your calendar and about, I think it's in August or early, you know, maybe early September that you would do that. Okay. Another texter says, can I cut my perennials down to the ground for the winter yet? You can do that. That's a task that people kind of, you know, go back and forth. I don't cut my perennials down. Uh, partly I'm too lazy to at this point. But, um, but they, and I think that they offer me some winter interest. So you might want to consider that. Um, but some other people do like to cut them down. I feel like the foliage, like on hostas, for example, that it actually acts as a little bit of a mulch, a natural mulch around the base of the plant, and then I clean them up in the spring. So it's kind of your choice. Uh, if they're still green and growing, they're still photosynthesizing, meaning that they're still putting energy back into the base of that plant and that root. So uh, if they've died back, if they're all brown, yeah, you can cut those back. We got about a minute to go, Julie. Let me try to grab one a quick one here. Is it too early to wrap young maple trees to protect from the winter critters? You would want to use a uh, PVC tube or a not a PVC but a corrugated tube uh, to put around those uh, young maple trees. I would also recommend fencing. I'm back to fencing again uh, because boy, animals really like to chew on those young uh, that young bark. And uh, it is not too early to do that. You can go ahead and do that. You could still, you still have some time though as well. All right. In 30 seconds, Julie, let's uh, get that website for the U of M again, which is great reading, especially when it's kind of inclement weather here and there. Yes. And there's new things coming on it all the time. We are actively and and aggressively writing for it. Um, It is extension.umn.edu. 
Uh, go to Yard and Garden. There's a search window also that you can just search for topics if you wish. And I would point out that the very first thing on the page is our Yard and Garden news, which comes out every two weeks about yeah. current uh, horticulture issues and also links to the Smart Garden podcast. Excellent. We have to run, Julie. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. We'll have another show next week. Thanks, Julie. Sounds good. Thank you. Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.